When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Justine. And I'm Jenna. Welcome to the Same Brain Podcast. Let's roll that intro before we introduce our guest. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm so hyped. Are you hyped? I am. Not only that the podcast is back, but that we have a very, very special guest. Because I thought you were going to pick okay. up there. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ben Moon. Woo! Oh my gosh. Okay. So I was thinking of like, how do I even introduce you? Because there's so many things that you've done and that you do. I was like, rock climber, surfer, author, dog, dad, photographer, photographer, videographer. Uh, I mean, it's the list goes on and on and also cancer survivor, which is incredibly impressive. Okay. I didn't even let you speak yet, but we're here at condo and we first met there. Yeah. But now let's let Ben talk. Yeah. Let's let Ben <laughs> It's really good to see you both. The best thing is how we met, which was my, my wonderful dog, Nori. This was in Sun River three years ago, which feels like a decade ago because of everything that's happened in the world. I, I drove from the coast to the mountains and rolled in super late, and I was late for dinner, and I was scrambling and trying to find a seat, and, and Nori just, like, beelined for your table and would not leave and was laying under your table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nori <laughs> was, like, under my chair, and I was like, I feel like the chosen one. I was like, this is the best day of my life. It was so great. And that was such a fun event, too. Dogs are the best uh, icebreakers. I've met some of my dearest friends through Nori and Denali in the past, too. So. Oh, she's so sweet. Do you want to give like a quick intro to our audience about like what you do and you know how you found yourself here at Condo? I've been involved with Sony for about eight years. I'm an artisan of imagery for them, and I'm a filmmaker, photographer. I was an adventure photographer first and kind of became a filmmaker and had a film about my previous dog Denali that went crazy viral and then wrote a book about it which has now been optioned to be a Hollywood film which is kind of exciting. I really enjoy being a part of this family that they've kind of created and um, these events are always overwhelming because there's so many people I want to catch up with and I'm just glad we have a time to just sit and chat for a moment in quiet. Yeah thank you and, and if you guys are watching we do also do a video podcast and we're in Sun Valley Idaho. It's so beautiful out and I thought that would be so cool if we filmed outside, but it's so hot. It's so hot. It's like in the 90s. The UV level was too high, so we're in the air condition taking it easy. Yeah, it's, it's we're at 6,000 6, feet, which doesn't isn't that high, but it's high enough where the sun feels a lot hotter. And then, you know, about 5 p.m., it just gets really cold again. So the temperature swings are real here. It's wild. So we're inside, and this is probably not like the best showcase of what these cameras can do, but <laughs> we're here, and I'm just so excited. You know, we first met at Condo, and now we're here, and you're on our podcast, which is very exciting. I guess for you, kind of like, where do you feel like your adventure kind of started? No, I never was trained in photography or, or filmmaking. Uh, I went to school for sports medicine, and I was living in Oregon, um, and a bunch of relationship, heartbreak, you know, life changes happened, and I couldn't find a job in my field that I really felt like it suited me. And right before everything kind of life imploded, this is my mid twenties. I bought a used film setup. Um, uh, like I think it was the Nikon and then yes, I want to say three now because <laughs> everything's threes and fours and fives on the Sony kit. But this is, this is in um, 99 or 2000. I just had this feeling that I wanted to buy a camera, I'd buy a camera and start taking real photos. Cause I'd had a little Yashica T4, mm-hmm. which are now, one of the hardest cameras to find. I lived on the road with my dog, Denali, and 
first I was living out of a, the back of a Subaru wagon and then I, I bought a camper van and it wasn't really planned. I was just trying to figure out my life and I was rock climbing throughout the West and started taking photos. This climbing manufacturer in, in Bend, I laid, laid some on the side table and was like, hey, what do you think? And, and I started digging through his, his submissions from all the other outdoor adventure photographers and basically saw a cover letter and a sheets of slides and how other people submitted slides and it sounds so archaic now because it was literally you would just send in your original photo and you never knew if you'd see it again you never knew if the lab would like cut it in half by accident but patagonia ended up using a few of my images and i was like wait maybe this could be more than just a hobby climbing is was my biggest passion then but i also felt like it was sort of a selfish pursuit in some ways and i wanted to just somehow find more meaning to it and so being able to document the people that I was spending time with and the people I loved, it just felt, it felt natural. That's kind of how it all started. And it's been interesting to see the going from film, the digital to everybody going to motion and then to, you know, social media, like the Instagram side. But now we're kind of like, what's next and trying to figure that out. So it's been a really interesting journey through, through all that. Right. Yeah. And I feel like we were also in the NFT chat here at Condo and, yes. and it's crazy just to see how quickly things have changed. So for you, like going from, I guess, print to digital. I mean, what was that transition like? Well, obviously you could, you could check on a, on a job or a shoot you would, you, if you accidentally, you know, misexposed the roll of film or a really critical shoot, you could actually see if what you had, but it was also scary because the first raw files were called TIFFs. And, and so then you'd save them as TIFFs and you'd override your raw files. And it was, it was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of bad file, file management at first. Um, so that was the most challenging thing. File management, how do you back things up? And, you know, hard drives were dinky back then. And you know, I think in eight, was it like megabytes? Megabyte. It yeah. was like literally cards were <laughs> tiny at the beginning, and a um, hundred dollars per gig for a long time, and it was it was preposterous. So. Yeah. Also, for a company like Patagonia that just literally had you know would hold our slides, and you know if they held images, it was to, to, to transfer over to a system because I have about I don't know sixteen hundred images in their archive, and and they had to transfer everything from just physical slides to an archival system and th- i think that was the hardest thing for everyone is how do you keep track of your work and i'm going through that right now because i have to update my portfolio again for seven, eight years and i was like you know that's probably it's probably time so there's some images that you've taken that you've probably never seen again oh oh yeah that yeah. hurts my heart <laughs> yeah. especially in the film world that you'd, you'd lose you know a, a fedex package was delivered of a my some sheets i'd submitted to a climb magazine and they got taken off my porch and you just don't, you don't know, you don't really remember. And you know, if you have all these, like you have scans, but we used to scan images at 600 by 800 pixels. Oh wow. Um, and, and I have, you know, thousands of those uh, thumbnails essentially. And that's all they are. I mean, that's great for maybe Instagram since they just down res everything anyway. <laughs> totally. So there. it's like, these are some great It's Instagram about the shots. same size. <laughs> I feel like your Instagram is very curated though. I feel like you have a plan for it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I, I started that out as just the, the portrait series. Mm-hmm. I started that out as more of an accountability because I had, I have hundreds of those in the archive that I've never processed. And I just wanted to like start, um, actually sharing those images just to give myself some accountability to dig them out and to tell a little bit about the people that I encounter and those who inspire me. And so it's, it was more of a, that the face is a black and white type portrait, like an 80, with an 85, um, always shot at the same in the same natural light and just a a way that I could have a project that I could take anywhere and an event like this I'm not someone to just there's always all the you know grab a model and go take a photo and I just to me it has to be a personal connection to the image and so I really enjoy just being able to pull somebody aside and spend three minutes and grab a portrait and it's cool this event too I don't even know if a lot of people even understand like what this event is how many have they done I think this is the fourth condo that was in person Hmm. yeah there are three before uh, the pandemic and 
this is the first in-person sense. This year is, is different. A lot of times they invite people from outside to take workshops, and this time it's only people that are um, either on the ambassadors or directly affiliated like that have worked with Sony for some time. There are so many incredible people here of all genres of storytelling and content creation and you know it's it's interesting too because it runs the full age gamut too and there's some older photographers walking around that a lot of the younger crew ignore and they're complete legends you know there i was like do you, do you know that guy shot bob marley in the 70s and it just like blows people's minds you know and or like that neil over there shot that famous muhammad ali photo that you know they're sitting by themselves eating lunch and it's like always like it's right it's like hey you just go talk to that guy he's a legend like magnum photographer eli yeah is a full magnum and there's tiktokers with millions and millions and millions of followers and it's like well just nonchalant just walking around and it's it's really cool because of the way that they've kind of curated such an awesome community of people the first condo was kind of what brought us to do our camera camp yeah because condo felt more uh, focusing again with photographers so we're like well what if we did something with the videos i feel like they did a great crossover this time so we're a little more accepted into the into the condo group. It's true, but hopefully camera camp can still happen. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, filmmaking to me is just as important as stills. And so I think it's it's really cool to see more of a blend of all the genres together. Well, it's and been three years since the last condo event, but it's like even thinking about how much social media has shifted. It's like all these platforms want video. Has that impacted you at all? Or you're just like, no, I'm sticking with what I know. I'm not, I'm not doing what the platform wants. I'm doing what I want. If you want my opinion about the algorithm, I can. You can, yeah, <laughs> for this sure. Is, yeah, it's, I mean, it we is, all probably feel the same yeah. about it. No, being forced to do reels is not, I'm, I refuse. I mean, it just, unless they change it back to where you actually get to see the things you want to see and, and your, you, your work gets seen. I mean, it's just when you're suppressed down to 1% of your following, it just doesn't mm-hmm. even, there's no, there's no point. It does, there's no incentive anymore to post and creating a reel for them is just fitting a box. And yep. I feel like that was really interesting in the NFT discussion about how, you know, it's having a place where you can actually support each other right. and, and support each other's work and not have it such a competitive space. And I find, you know, Instagram become more and more of a it's unhealthy place to spend time. I use it more almost like I used to use Facebook was like, okay, just it's just a way to keep in touch. It's the only way I have their number or whatever. So <laughs> right. it's just a message. And now it's like a lot of people I'm connected on Instagram and I will use it for that. But unfortunately, they, it's it's the meta <laughs> Thanks, Facebook. <laughs> but I mean, it is like a nice portfolio for you as well. So it's kind of like, look, here's my work. And I think you also might use it a little differently than like we do, where like that's our main, like one of our main sources of income too, is is doing sponsored posts and things like that. And that also hurts because if we're not doing those reels and creating that type of content, it's like, well, then brands are gonna be like, well, why don't you have any views? I'm like, because we're still, we just want to create the content that we want to create. But I will say for a while there, I was like super into photography. I'm like, yeah, YouTube is great. Love making videos. But I was like, I want my feed to have the look. I want it to be all photography. I was loving editing pictures. But now I'm like, okay, I also love, I mean, we've been doing, YouTube and stuff for like, well, you've been doing it forever, but like 12 plus years ago, we would just post such silly things online. So I'm like, okay, this is actually kind of a fun way to go back and kind of film, I don't want to say crappy content, <laughs> but like I would never post that three years ago, but now I'm like, okay, this is what, this is what the algorithm wants. And I'm actually having fun posting these silly little things that I normally wouldn't have post. So I feel like there's pros and cons, but I do miss seeing my friends like actual feeds and seeing their photos. Did so. you guys know that you can click on the Instagram logo and change it to friends only, which I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. I, I mean, I just recently found that out. And favorites too. You can, but then it's, I, I, you have to go through and actually manually select each, yeah. each person. That's and too much. It's, it's too much work. It's like MySpace top, oh God. Yeah, top, top, top eight. 
remember how, time it, how much time it took to like agonize over who those I know like, you're like oh somebody's getting pushed out are yeah. they gonna see this I know they're gonna see it they're gonna know it <laughs> then they changed it to like top 12 I think at some point oh, I, don't I don't know and then my MySpace got hacked and I don't even care anymore so was your LinkedIn my LinkedIn did get hacked too hmm. do you use LinkedIn yeah okay yeah. Oh. I don't use it to post really but I use it to kind of stay in touch with a lot of people I work with because yeah. it's it's just a, a lot of people aren't on the other mediums now. So it made quite a comeback. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like everyone's into it. I feel like I, I did two posts. Whoa, oh, yeah. whoa, whoa. Got, <laughs> one. Should we, should we like I one don't know. was sponsored? <laughs> yeah, do we need to like link to this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <The show> notes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's great. Follow me on LinkedIn. No, no. <laughs> as far as like filmmaking goes, was Denali like your first film, or did have you done stuff before that, or was that kind of like your kind of like eye opening moment of like this is this is something. I started in music, um, and that was kind of my aha moment. I, I mean, I, my very first thing in the motion world was a was a music video that I shot on a one of the little handy cams, and I still have the tape. I just found the little mini DV tapes in in my slide cabinet, and I was like, oh, I still have those. Which was it was a little thing about Ocean Plastics. Ironically, he was my friend was really ahead of his time um, as far as talking about that in discussion, mm-hmm. and it was a really low budge music video that I shot and edited. And right after that, I think was the when. Uh, uh, Canon 5D Mark II came out because I shot Canon until I switched to mirrorless and I was on tour with one of my friends and I remember just running up the aisle being super excited it was my first night on for this big tour run I was doing with him in the Crystal Ballroom in Portland and I switched it to video because I it just felt like I should do that as I pushed through the crowd up to the stage and I remember looking at the back of the camera being like oh like because seeing it with a prime beautiful lens the thing you did not get with the the other handycam formats right. um, and did a couple of music videos and some EPKs like, you know, you'd be in the studio while they're recording and then create little like one minute pieces. And so that was kind of how I started with filmmaking. And then I'd done a few things before that, but Denali was really the breakthrough. Interestingly enough, that that project started as something completely different. It was a, it was supposed to be a little commercial piece for, I think like Snow Peak or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, bit, a little bit, be a little bio piece and kind of about the the push-pull of the city versus nature, um, the mountains versus the ocean, and kind of that always feeling, not being sure where I wanted to be. And Skip Armstrong, my friend who was the main DP on that, he, he's like, you know, your relationship with Denali, I see that, you know, there's a bond there, and I, I know that he's getting older, and so let's just maybe make it about you and your dog. And so Denali was literally on his last last days, you know, and it was really emotional time. And I, I remember, like, holding on and be like, hey, can you just stick around for, like, this, oh, this month cry. i know right and and to the i mean it is it is uncanny how do, much dogs know they he, to the to the hour almost it was like january 31st on midnight he started getting it started mm-hmm. his health started declining that night and you've been in oregon coast in the winter months and we got a beautiful two weeks of sunshine during that time we were able to film everything and um document this time with him and it was really it was really special and so that that alone was really really incredible but then it took a year and a half of like some failed edits that we pulled from music festivals. It was a whole different concept, very abstract. And I, w- I, I just wasn't getting personal enough. And so I finally was like, I need this to be relatable. Something won't let me go that I, I can't give up on this mm-hmm. story. And I know there's something here because a lot of my friends were just like, move on. I, you know, you're, I know you're, you lost your friend, but just you need to move on from this. And um, I was like, we just have to finish this. And so it took like a year and a half to get the right tone. And um, Ben Knight, who edited it and narrated it, like he locked into a, a really thing and, and when we when it came out, it was successful at the film festivals it was at, but I didn't know how the public would perceive it. The first day was, you know, 5,000 views or something on Vimeo. And I was sleeping on my deck in Portland because it was hot out in the summer. And I remember turning on my phone at like 6 a.m. And it was like 
the Today Show and the London Times. It was like it was like people, the journalists from all over the world. Were, and my phone was exploding, and by that night it was like a million views, and then it was eight million, and then Oprah put it on and everything. So it was like it was this thing that was like I didn't have an associate producer, I didn't have anybody helping me. It was just suddenly I had news trucks stalking my house and i was like what do i do i was I lost my voice and, <laughs> oh my God. and that was, was a, on vimeo you had eight million yeah, views yeah what like in one week wow, what year oh was my this God. um 2005 oh, oh wow. wow yeah yeah i mean that's incredible and yeah and still i think it's a number two video of all time on vimeo um is it has like 14 or 15 million views on vimeo that's, and, that's amazing and did, I, did vimeo send you like a plaque or something um n- no did they I, give you like a free account at least maybe <laughs> <laughs> come on vimeo <laughs> vimeo come on get with it <laughs> um there were so many people putting up fake youtube links that i had I, I threw one up there because the whole thing was we didn't want to monetize it because we felt like it was a story that needed to be needed to be shared and um and so i put up a, a youtube link just to basically knocked down all the other ones that had there were there were fake ones that had almost a million views before i caught them and the youtube link i think has a few million views now too and i think outside tv had it on there too and i don't they won't tell me how many they have but i'm pretty yeah it's like another five or ten on there so it was one of those things that just kind of it was outside of once it becomes out there it's like it really wasn't my story anymore i got like ten thousand messages and it was it was it was so what was it like dealing with like the viral hit moment because i feel like everyone kind of handles it differently and then also kind of like after that is also like what do i do now do i have to do a follow-up it it was definitely overwhelming and i had a lot of book publishers and you know there was i felt like the sharks kind of circled for a while there's like book publishers and people from the agents kind of writing me constantly being like oh you know let's let's cash in on this and i had a friend who advised me she's like listen if you're going to do anything because there were hollywood producers after it but i just felt like they didn't have they just wanted to cash in they weren't they didn't have the right reason at heart at the time and my friend said you know you should put this in your own words first i was like well i don't know anything about the book publishing world at all i don't know how to navigate that and the only person i knew was john krakauer from the climbing world you know he's had many major um, books published and and he called me back and was like hey if you have any interest in writing a book now's the time because it's really hard to have this much momentum here's my old editor um who'd helped him with into thin air and um helped with sebastian younger's uh perfect storm and just on a lot of like major you know books that had been done and mark bryant he used to be at the at outside magazine so Mm -hmm. he's kind of from he was from that world too in my world and so he took me under his wing and just was almost like a father figure to me and helped me with the proposal and i mean it's like having having mentors is everything in in photography and filmmaking and and writing too so another woman wrote me who had done a short film that became um that hillary swank movie freedom writers um mm-hmm. basically it was the same thing that happened to her she put that short nightline or dateline whatever it was some short film out and then all these people are calling her and and so she's like hey i know the sh- i know you're going to be a just attacked by all these people that want some from you. Like if you just call me and let me know and my husband's a producer and he'll help you vet people and just to see if they're good people in the industry. So that's great. It was, I was really grateful to have that support because I I was just literally after, you know, 75 interviews, I was just sitting there like, I don't have a clue what to say anymore. (laughs) So it's a being viral is like, I mean, you've experienced it too. It's it's just a, it's a weird, all of a sudden you're in the spotlight for yeah. not the right reasons necessarily. And people have this idea of you. And and then you have to always try to follow up with it after. And then it's like hitting that peak again. is It's almost impossible. So I think you just kind of have to accept it. Yeah. That takes a long time to accept. And I think we met at Condo. You were finishing up your book, which is kind of crazy to think about. That's crazy. I think I was still deep in trying to finish the book that, that mm-hmm. Condo. I think I had, I had like a month left before my deadline. 
Yeah, I think and you were leaving events. You're like, I have to go write. Yeah, I, was I was like, yeah, but there's cool stuff happening. Come hang out. You're like, uh, I'm trying to finish a book right now. Yeah, it was, that was a such a strange, and honestly, when you're writing a book, most of the time you're in some form of procrastination and you 100%. actually really write like for 20 minutes a night. That took about four years from proposal to, because a proposal is basically you're writing an entire outline of the book plus a chapter or two. And I mean, it's, it's a process. But the cool thing was, is right when I first um, started writing the proposal, I got I got Nori. And so after all of that attention for the film, the mm-hmm. short film, I was I was almost like starting to doubt it because I had so many messages come in and just it was this weird feeling. I was like, was that bond really that strong? Was was this really or is this all just this other thing now? And it's become you know, overhyped and having a puppy again and spending, you know, I was living, I just moved to the, to the coast. I was so excited to be at the beach. Really um, a wonderful reminder of how, because quickly, you know, that bond forms close so quickly with mm-hmm. the dog and see those mannerisms. And then over the time of it took to write the book, you know, Nori kind of we became closer and closer. And I was living in my van again, which wasn't a really a planned thing, but I, mm-hmm. I, I moved into, I built out a really a, a modern camping van with my dad and it was my little office and studio while I was building the house and I would park at the beach every day so it was it was one of those things that looking back on seems so romantic but at the time it was pretty hellish well, I think also like you see all the Instagram like van life and it's so curated I'm like none of that's realistic I mean I even know. when we did our road trip just in the the Sprinter van like we were disasters oh yeah it was just mess <laughs> things everywhere even when I did like that one sponsored thing with uh T-Mobile like I had bruises because the cabinets were so like hard and like metal and I would like get up to go to the restroom and then it like smacked me in the leg and I'm like am, am I bleeding <laughs> so it's fun but it's behind the scenes as, as dangerous well, it's a lot of work I've, I've thought about writing another book just calling it like confessions of a recovered van life or something <laughs> oh my god those people would love <laughs> it yeah that would be pretty great I think so many people could relate so I have a question going back to Nori did you plan to get another dog or was it just like you saw her and was like well this is my dog now I started being okay with the idea of it I'd opened up it took about a year and a half or longer um it was a while um before I started thinking about it and uh my partner at the time she texted me at pet finder link and I was just like yeah whatever I opened the link and and it was these soulful puppy eyes with the same widow's peak and like eyeliner that Denali had just like those eyes I was just like oh I think I had to leave for the airport in like five minutes and I wrote the longest email to the foster because I was like listen I live at the coast I know you say you need to have a home visit and all this stuff but I live two hours away like I'm coming right now and the woman who ran the um, this amazing uh, My Way Home dog rescue it was out, out by Mount Hood it was this really cool 10 acres she usually took um, senior dogs and, and um, like dogs that were really hard to adopt uh, Nori's mom was a street dog and all of them were picked up off the street and so they they were got kind of just it was a favor to take one of them in and Cheryl had um had had breast cancer and I guess my film Denali like because it was about cancer and had um had a bit of that story in there she had really touched her during her time Mm -hmm. with and it helped her a lot and like she called me immediately and I was like listen if you know I'll be here waiting like you can (laughs) and so and so it was one of those things where it it all worked out. It wasn't planned, really. But I think that's, I mean, just like anything in life, it's all the best opportunities and all the moments that are real, true, magical moments where you meet people or you meet your partner or you meet your dog. It's like people that like want to go on some speed dating thing in a, in a humane society. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. You can't, you need to have a true bond with that 
I think that's where we found so. Maddie was uh, was a I think I'm not sure if it was Petfinder. It was one of those websites. It was like um, I actually agreed to do a sponsored video for this Petfinder website, and I was like, I will absolutely not get a dog, but I think that you know adopting is great, and I'll, I'll support it. I was always pushing it. I'm like, yeah. you got a perfect yard for this. Get the dog. And then I was searching, and I saw this little litter of puppies, which also were like abandoned and left somewhere, and I was just like, Oh my like, god, we're so going. Cute. So we. <laughs> We were in Utah. Is that uh-huh. where we were at? And then we yeah. like landed at like 6 a.m., went to a George Ezra concert in the afternoon, and then went to the shelter, mm-hmm. saw that little dog full of just his own poo and pee. And he, <laughs> had his, did, he was disgusting. Worms. I was like, this didn't is, weigh a pound because nope. he was taken away way too early from his mom and was just a mess. We're like, we want that one. <laughs> that was our little rodent. Yeah. He's oh, an angel. It's great. But yeah, dogs are just oh. by far the most incredible thing. When I, I guess, uh, Cheryl ran the foster. She, her daughter really wanted to adopt Nori because she was so cute, but Nori had huge paws. And so she thought she was going to be like a hundred pound dog. Fortunately, Nori stopped at about 65 pounds. And I actually worked with her later for this, uh, one of the dog food companies, uh, still in Chewy's. Uh, we did a um, thing about adult dog adoption and I, we were at my way home again and, and Cheryl saw Nori and was like, told her daughter, like, you messed up. Oh, <laughs> <She's> no. <perfect." laughs> I was like, I guess she adopted another dog that looked like she was had tiny paws and it became 100 pounds. Anyway. Oh, so, my gosh. Oh my <laughs> so you, that's the thing about adopting a dog. You just don't really know. But that's the beauty of it, too. So. You don't. They told him he was like a poodle Maltese. There's not a bit of Maltese in that dog at all. We got his DNA test, of yeah. course. <laughs> so I guess after the film, then sort of, I mean, what was your like aspirations? Like, what did you really want to do? I mean, that definitely brought up a lot of opportunities because a lot of people wanted to tell stories that were more heartfelt and connected that way and I did a couple films with my friend um, Daniel Norris who's a a baseball pitcher currently for the Tigers and did one about a conservationist Doug Peacock for um, Peak Design. For me it's about telling meaningful stories but then I realized that if if I was going to write the book it needed to be something far deeper and challenging to say tell that much um, about the not so pretty sides of life but I feel like I know for myself with social media when you just see all the polished sides of everybody's so-called lives, it, it kind of, it, it just makes you feel bad about yourself. And so I did realize the only way I was going to be able to help people and make them truly relate to the real stuff that happens in life is to share some things, you know, about mental health. And actually even, like, I've gotten a lot of messages about like being a very shy kid. Um, I mean, I'm definitely an introvert, but I love people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a, one of those things. And I had to learn how to kind of come out of my shell for events like this where there's 200 people you just want to talk to everybody. It's a lot. I know. Yeah. Yesterday, like I got back to my room and I'm like, I don't know how to relax right now because I just talked to like 200 people for 12 hours. Yeah. And I'm like the same. I'm like, I thought I wasn't, you know, an extrovert, but I'm like, nope, I like being home. But like, I also like talking to people, but I'm also like, oh, I need to like recharge. recharge. And I'm like, so yeah, it's a lot, but it's just, it's so nice. And I feel like everyone here not everyone but i feel like it's like we all kind of are like that like we all just hide behind our cameras and we're all just like into the same thing so we're all you know we have a lot of things to talk about but i don't know it's funny how many people have told me that here that they're like they're actually are introverts people i wouldn't expect like last night steve sweatpants was like oh yeah man i'm a total introvert Mm -hmm. like this is a lot for me yeah that's the importance of like when i had my van it was it was my little nest and my little retreat i could write you know i'd be at the beach but i could there'd be people swirling around but i would just be in there writing and then now having a home i built it with a lot of sound insulation and um, making rooms feel really private. And so even though we can host a you know, big group of people and a lot of guests, it's still you can tuck away and have your little quiet moments. And for me, that's what I need. I need my little... I need my little den to just kind of recharge and then I'm all set. And yeah, definitely. I mean, even like last night, everyone's like, come on out, we're doing Astro. I was like, I'm in bed. It's nine o'clock. Like, I got to go to sleep. I know. And then <laughs> no I spent way. two hours on TikTok scrolling, but I was like, you know what? This is my time. So I want to talk about Rivian. 
unless you don't want to. Oh yeah, let's. Oh, let's. I it. love Rivian. I have the the R1S pre-ordered, and you've been doing some work with them for quite some time now, right? Yeah, the uh, executive creative director who who just who just actually left. He was there for ten years. He reached out on Instagram via his personal account that had no link to Rivian and wrote me this little cryptic little message about this <laughs> amazing adventure electric truck company, and it sounded like a complete scam. Honestly, I I, I didn't. I almost deleted it, and I kind of blocked. Was, I, I was like, so what's the range? And he's like, oh, up to 400 miles, which is going to be the max pack coming out later. But And I was like, huh, now you have my attention. Um, and because at the time, it was all the vehicles had like two inches of clearance. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's really you could not take anything off road. It, it took me about three months before I realized it was real because we he would we had all these presentations and it was in these empty white conference rooms. And I just was still was like, this does not sound real. And then um, my reps in New York and I from RXR, we we decided to just take a leap. We went to Detroit or to Plymouth where the design headquarters were and we walked in there and I saw all the renderings first and then I turned around the corner and there was the full-size clay models and I was like, oh, I, I, <laughs> I want that. I, if that really gets made, I want that. It, was, it wasn't only a truck. It was a truck that you, it had a class to it but it was also very rugged you know it had you could tell it could take some it could go off road and i shot stills on the official launch video and then we did a lot of like little stories and then they did a story about my me we did a film up in tofino and um vancouver island and it was with um a few of my surf uh, buddies jeff johnson who is another um he was in that film 180 south he directed that and so it was more about my story and we, we took one up there and ended up going kind of deep on the whole cancer experience and making it more like a kind of not a serious film, but more of a um, in-depth, intimate look in who I am now. And RJ, the CEO of, and founder of Rivian, he he's like, listen, like we could put the Rivian logo at the end, but if this is about Ben, this is about Ben's story. He's like, let's take the logo off the end and put and promote his book. And and I was like, whoa, this is you know like no no commercial clients ever asked to take their logo off something. Right. I mean, the truck was obviously in it. It was one of the really nice blue ones, the bright mm-hmm. blue ones, but. Yeah. Um, but it was that, that to me, I mean, RJ's just a really, he has three boys and he's just a really heartfelt founder and it really trickles down because you can feel the thought that goes into everything. And I've met so many of the designers and they've hired a lot of my friends, including my friend Ian Durkin, who's, uh, was the judge at the first film festival Denali came out. Oh, at. He cool. was at Vimeo at the time. He was a staff fix guy. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and so now he Full helps. Circle. And there's a lot of his whimsical humor in there too. The gear guard, you know, that when it comes up and it's like, <gasps> the, we the, love the, the, the gear guard. guard. Yes. <laughs> it's so cute. He's so when, cute. It, when it popped up, I was like, eight. it's so cute. <laughs> cute oh my god yeah. i yeah we love the gear guard that's, that's like the one thing yep <laughs> ian was at our house with his partner uh, like a couple weeks ago and he he showed me the original video that he showed for the inspiration for that where he like came up from behind a countertop with a super eight and like then scanned <laughs> back and forth and then slid back under that's it. amazing and, that's incredible yeah. we appreciate the gear guard yeah it's very I thoughtful love the gear guard and i love the pet mode too i mean mm-hmm. pet mode's incredible for having dogs it's i haven't like, I, I saw it on i think your story or something and i was like what i was like this is amazing because we did get to test out the r1s Four or five months ago, we did yeah. a road trip. So that was before the update. And you, we didn't were, have it. you were kind of like the first, too. We so were. I believe they said we were like the first people outside of the CEO and the you know high up people who had the opportunity. And I said, are you sure? When I saw you had one for real, I was like, how did you get that? And we couldn't talk about it <laughs> yeah. for a month. Yeah. We waited like a month as well. And it was incredible. I mean, we t- we met so many people. And I was like, I, like I said, I was like, I felt like, I don't know. I was like, I felt like it's a secret, but we were in Yosemite where that's all anybody wanted to talk about. So I was like, yeah, I don't blame you. It's pretty cool. And I feel like you, I mean, because you had several other vehicles and you basically got rid of all of those. And now that your truck is the, the main thing that you have, right? Yeah, I had I had my van, um, a, a commuter that I would run back and forth to Portland and um, for the airport. And then I had a 
a beach a beach truck and and it was just nice to be able to go back to one i actually was on the film team that was went on the transamerica trail with motor trend was with them and they drove from outer banks north carolina all the way to the oregon coast oh wow on back roads and um like 4400 miles i think it was and all like you know a lot of really critical off-road stuff and so we met up with them in like moab and Oregon and um, Georgia and, and Outer Banks. And I used to subscribe to Motor Trend when I was a teenager and I knew how harsh they could be on vehicles and to see how excited they were about the vehicle um, from day one was pretty mind blowing because the diesel journalists that see everything, you know, and then they gave it truck of the year. But I still, until I had one of my own, I didn't know if it would deliver on that. And it's just incredible. It's incredible. It's crazy fast. If you put it in sport mode, it handles like a a small sports car on windy mountain roads and then on the beach or off road it it makes you feel like a hero because you have so much control. I grew up on in in Michigan on dirt, on dirt roads and stuff and it's really easy to get a truck fishtailing or any vehicle but, but because you have the center of gravity so low and even throughout the entire platform it's so predictable and it has a lot of clearance yeah so did you get to try the the r1s yet i drove the original prototype the but, original but, yeah. but I, so those are all hand built and so they're just not as tight as the the production models so well whenever i get mine we're gonna go out of our, not go out of our way but we're gonna road trip back up to oregon so we can have the the r1t and the r1s meet up and you can you can drive mine but i feel like you'll probably be able to get your hands on one before then if, uh, we have a sophie know. and i have a pre-order for one as well okay there we, you go if we get one first i'll i'll drive down to you yeah guys. there we go you probably pre-ordered way before me i think mine was like november well i so. switched I've had a pre-order for a long time, but I switched it from the, because I had it as an ROT, so I switched it over to, to an S as soon as they were available. Gotcha. So maybe I'll take my regular car up there to see your R1S if you get it first. <laughs> but it's, what color do you get? I have the, the Rivian Blue as of now. I, I pre-ordered the white. Yeah. The Those white is just so classy. fresh. It is, but yeah. they're all, oh, there's so many good colors, but I think, I think the Rivian Blue is what I'm probably going to stick with. We, so. we went with limestone. <gasps> the limestone is so it's nice. nice. It's kind of like a, it's not gray. It's not, it's not, it's, I don't know. It has a really nice natural feel to it there's one where i live it's the limestone truck and i'm like ooh, like every color looks good yeah. i keep changing my mind every day at this point yeah. Even the yellow looks great yeah. i know yeah. i was like it looks so cool <sighs> i'm not a i'm not a yellow car vehicle but when Me i saw either. one i was like that is bad yeah <laughs> but i will say it does have like the yellow accents so i'm like okay you do get like a little bit of the yellow if you don't get the full yellow vehicle so i'm like okay maybe maybe i'll just stay with the blue if but. you're with the launch edition that's the only launch edition has the yellow accents yeah oh. my heart is crushed <laughs> oh you're crushed i'm getting a spray paint can and i'm <laughs> spraying something i guess we were testing the launch we edition. were well, it, which was crazy it was still a pre-production one that we yeah, had it was so it was interesting because as a tesla owner it's really a poor quality. Like this Tesla, like, I mean, very expensive vehicle. I'm like, stuff is always going wrong. Oh. And so I thought for sure, testing out a pre-production model of a vehicle that is like their first, you know, foray into to the SUV space. I was like, we had like no par- problems at all. No. And like, yeah, I thought we were going to you know, have software issues. There was like one small thing where it was like, you can fix that with an update. But other than that, like the yeah. maps were great. Everything was just so smooth and every update's been you know every little like things that i've noticed but then things that i wouldn't even have thought of you know obviously the pet mode is a big one um but the um, the new one that's coming out i think this week is the camp mode which um you know you have it goes from nine inches to 15 inches of clearance so you can fully level your vehicle and then put the vehicle to sleep so you can only have the plugs on or something so you don't have all those you know like lights coming on or like you know sounds coming on or whatever you can just basically put it to sleep and it's my first electric vehicle but to have something that the one or two times that something has gone wrong you just like reset it and it's it's like your phone glitches you just reset it and it works perfectly after that and yeah with a gas vehicle 
it means you're getting towed or exactly (laughs) yes (laughs) i think it's also cool just you can suggest things like if there's a need for it with enough people it's like they can make a software update and you basically have an all new vehicle which is so impressive and now i really want it again like when i had to give it back it was a sad day hopefully soon it reminds me of the first time i had i mean I haven't had an iPhone. It's just like it got it gets out of the way, does everything well, and doesn't you don't really think about it I, until I get in. Like we still have an old Bronco, and I had to move it the other day. Just or I drove it to my parents or something, and I was like, "What is this archaic <laughs> thing?" And you know, or just even you know, Sophie Subaru. I was just like, I, "I don't know how to drive this. Everything is so." clunky and Mm -hmm. different that's how i felt going back because i still have like a range rover so going back after driving for a week the rivian i was like how do i drive because you have like the one pedal and i was like oh my okay no now i need to hit the brakes i'm like i need to hit the brakes i'm like this is i'm a i'm a hazard on the street right now guys driving like jacked up four by four trucks pull me over and be like what is this that's the coolest (laughs) truck and then they hear it's american made and you know then they're like who makes it i was like it's a rivian but but who makes it like Tesla, does Tesla make it? No, Rivian. it's a Rivian. I know. I've said, I'm like, no, Rivian. They're like, well, who? I'm like, I'm like Rivian. You probably, yeah. when you were, it, you know, same, okay, yeah. in Yosemite, I bet you had. And I'm like, just like, yeah. just look it up. And they're like, like, how do you spell that? And I'm like, <laughs> when I first saw that, I was like, oh my God. I'm like, just when I didn't think he could get any cooler, I'm like, Ben is working with Rivian. And have you been to the Venice Hub? I'm sure you've been to yeah. the Venice Hub. Yeah, it's, it's so really cool. cool. Like all the art and all the, the pictures. And I just love how it's like an experience. Yeah, like, they have a lot of workshops for kids and things. Yeah. And it's all, it's, they have usually two of the vehicles there, plus a few test drive vehicles. And so, you know, you can actually interact with them and, and everything, which that's the hard part is like, where do I get one of these? Well, you just literally go on your phone and you can order it. And mm-hmm. it shows Tesla, up. It's very similar. But So what's next? What's next for you? really just want to start focusing on um, telling some good stories again. I did do a film in Iceland this winter with one of my, one of my really dear friends, uh, Ben Serdaluski, we call Sturge. It was a snow surf music film. And, and my really good friend, um, Griff, um, who is known as Goth Babe, he went with us as well. And so we were with some of the athletes and I was shooting surfing in like 34 degree water. And oh my gosh. It was, it was an experience, but it was, it's uh, like a 20 minute short that comes out in, at Banff this fall. And I'm excited for that just because it was so fun to, it wasn't completely my project, but it was a, just a fun collaboration. And at the new place, um, we uh, built an edit bay and got to all like sit and edit in that new space and which is all sound treated now and it just feels really good and writing the book going through the pandemic and building the house it just feels good to finally be settling in and, and even have the opportunity to think about what's next and so um i always say that as long as i'm working with people that i am inspired by and i care about and telling stories that are meaningful i'm happy <laughs> for sure yeah i feel like you had a crazy past three years with building the truck and of course everyone had the pandemic which is kind of crazy because like how did that affect you as far as like work-wise i just i was on book tour um in january so the book dropped january like 14th or something i did you know a few few tv and um bookstore events and then um did one run of patagonia stores um which was really fun and i came home to take a break and then was going to figure out like actually build the tour out and i was going to do a show in san diego um, my really good friend started that hard kombucha brand, Juneshine, and they have a really cool facility there. And we were going to do a screening. And I remember we were on the phone, um, Forrest and I, and we were, I was like, should we do this? And it was like March 13th or something. He goes, there's not really, we don't really know what's going on here. It doesn't seem to be affecting us here, but I think we probably should just call it. And literally like the next week, I lost an entire year of work. It was like all the book tour, all the speaking engagements, all the Rivian projects we were going to do, all, it would just wiped and so I, every i think we were all on the same boat that way and and here was this house that was half built that i was like okay i gotta figure out how to finish this thing and so it was it was an interesting experience but i feel like i don't know there's something about being 
forced to go back to square zero and rethink everything and what what priorities are was was really the benefit of that and realizing how much our friendships and true connections mean you know like the in-person because i mean you can zoom call all you want and it's nice to keep in touch right there's nothing like sitting in the same room with someone to have the actual conversation and connection do you remember when everything was just like a normal phone call like before the pandemic like there now there were no video calls i mean maybe few but it's like you would do like a conference call yeah you know and now everything is video which I'm, i kind of like it i don't mind for the meetings it's like not having to fly to the other coast yeah for yeah. The, like one meeting yeah. is amazing but. for sure but i'm like four years ago three years ago i'm like oh my god like we would just have like a dial in code and, you know like, do, 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 and yeah, you'd all talk over each other you'd be like yeah. yelling and like you can't hear anybody and you know yeah <laughs> now it's like nope it's all video which i do prefer thank you so much for being on our podcast this was such a fun chat and back at the place that we all met True. which is so fun yeah. so i guess where can everyone find you and of course you guys definitely have to check out your, his book and denali the short film so where can they find you at on instagram um i'm ben underscore moon on twitter uh just ben moon and on vimeo you can just look up ben moon um on vimeo and and denali the short film if you haven't seen it you might shed a tear or two but it's happy tears you, um, you will cry you will um, you will and, shed a couple. Uh, the book is uh called uh denali a man a dog a friendship of a lifetime and it's on, on penguin books so Awesome. And I read the audiobook as well. I narrated it. So if you prefer that format, um, I might have to go and listen to the audiobook now because I read the the one that you I think you'd sent me like an early copy mm-hmm. of it. So I'm gonna have to go listen to the yeah, audiobook. Yeah, I didn't know. It was, okay, that's a good tip. All right, I'm gonna check that out too. Awesome. I remember when you read it because Jenna told me she's never gonna read. <laughs> I was, I, it, <laughs> you, you it, wasn't it, at layover. Or it something? took me a very long time. Some animals. This. Oh. Oh my God, I'm gonna no, cry just thinking about right. it. I think I read it on. We had it was uh, one. A flight delay. and yeah. we had a delay it was oh my god yeah i finished i was like crying i was like i'm not emotionally ready yet i was wrecked <laughs> oh, but it was it was incredible it's, it's so good yeah Jenna was like yeah justine's a hot mess and so I was, oh disaster. just like i'm like this is why it's i happy need tears it. i promise i have to do tears. it in private yeah <laughs> but no oh my incredible. god i'm gonna cry thinking about it so make sure you guys check it out and uh you know like i said once i get the rivian i'm driving up there and we will be reconnecting because i know where you live so i'll just park out in front and probably use your charger so there you go <laughs> i've invited myself do you have one of the chargers installed uh i've just been using the mobile charger oh, or the, cool. or the, the travel one and it, it works fantastic too but the wall charger thing work is coming with the suv so oh that's exciting great yeah. that'll work for me thank you so much in advance <laughs> <laughs> well that's thank you awesome. again and yeah we'll see you guys in our next podcast episode we're back we're back Woo!